welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. And we'll see how this records. All right, I'm recording this intro at 11.27 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So some of you may think this is depressing, and you're probably right. Uh, But, you know, uh, you know, recording. (laughs) Yeah, I lost the train of thought. I was going to pretend like I didn't whisper into the microphone. I need a drink. Hold on. All right. Anywho, I hope you all had a merry, merry Christmas. Or a happy Hanukkah or both. I don't care. You could everyone should celebrate as many holidays as possible this time of year. Anywho. Jeff McElino podcast is not celebrating any holidays. Well, yes, we're kind of, we, we, we meaning basically me and my imaginary legion of programmers and engineers and all of those things. Um, Anywho, we got a rerun for you today because, well, mainly because most of you aren't going to listen to it, but I've got a lot of new listeners in the past year. So here's the thing that I'm trying to do here. I'm going to give you a rerun of an episode that, you know, the the diehard listeners of the Jeff McElino podcast have already heard, but the newer ones who may still be diehard, and God bless you all, make sure you go on IMDb and give us 10 stars as a podcast, and then go and give the episodes a ranking as you see fit. Made it very clear. And uh, by the way, rate on Apple and Spotify as well. That's a thing that you should do. Uh, here's a rerun episode. I don't even know which episode I'm gonna put here. This is Christmas Eve, and it is 11:30 p.m. And I don't even know what episode I'm gonna put here. Let's look and see. I'm gonna pull up uh my audio on this computer. Here's a good one. We're gonna go with this one. I think, let's find out, I think it's going to be Jonathan McClernan episode, I might be wrong, but I want to say it's 38, it'll be something in the 30s, I really think I'm right about this, something in the 30s, and he's a guy who's been a, a good friend of myself, the program, he was on episode 100, he sent in a recorded message, um, Uh, Jonathan McClernand has a great backstory, and also, I feel like this jumped out to me while I was doing this, while I was looking for episodes. Uh, Jonathan McClernand also uh, talks a lot about food and eating and everything, and I feel like I talked to him after a binge of just a lot of whiskey and a couple pizzas and he was like well let's talk about the positives and knowing that this episode is going to be rerun on december 26th i feel like it's a very appropriate episode because i feel like a lot of us maybe made some bad food decisions i'm not looking at you i'm looking at myself in the mirror who are you looking at don't assume i'm looking at you um, I don't know what that was. That was a, uh, anyway. uh, anywho, Jonathan McLernan, great guy, Coach John, 
check him out on all the uh, you know i don't know his socials because i literally just picked the episode as i am pretty drunk on christmas eve and uh hey the saints won today and uh i watched uh it's a wonderful life uh it's been colorized which is kind of weird on amazon prime and i watched the colored version for the first time <laughs> and to be clear to be clear the colored version is not james stewart replaced by a black person it's it's just a colorized non-black and white ver oh not man it's really hard to describe that nowadays i suppose anywho go saints who that uh merry christmas uh happy new year by the way because i'm gonna play this episode and then i'm gonna bounce out here and then january 2nd's gonna be a repeat as well a rerun what 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 we got reruns i don't know what that was and then we got um january 9th great episode with christine rodriguez could talk to us all about astrology and what's on the stars and all that shit so hope you had a merry christmas because happy boxing day if you're listening to this on the day the rerun comes out and otherwise bit 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 listen up and that's all folks that was not porky pig that was a bye All right, and now I welcome Jonathan McLernan to the Jeff McAlino podcast. How are you, Jonathan? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Thank you. Uh, and I do love your background. It, it kind of makes me feel like I'm at home, which I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of makes me feel like you're at my home. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to say there's a secret spot in Canada where we have palm trees and, and these beautiful waves and things like that. But uh, I, I'd probably be lying through my teeth. So <laughs> no, no such luck. <laughs> no such luck. No we got to travel south for that. Have you lived in Canada your whole life? Uh, well, apart from spending about three years traveling around the world where we lived, uh, we've lived in about, I think, seven countries total, counting Canada. So Canada, when I say we, I mean my wife, my wife and I. So Canada, Australia, Mexico, Italy, Poland, South Africa. And we kind of count Turkey because my brother lives in Turkey and we've lived with him a couple times for like three months at a stretch. So hmm. um yeah, we've uh, and then we spent a lot of time in the UK as well. So UK is in one side of Europe and Turkey's on the other side of Europe. So it was kind of like a, I, we had we had landing points on both sides. So, gotcha. Did uh, when you I'm just curious when you did the traveling and lived in the other countries, did you have a home base still, or did you just say, hey, let's um, all and let's live where we live? Uh, kind of a mixture. So um, it started with so I used to be in the navy, and uh, we decided to pack up our lives. Uh, you know. I, I look, um, I spent six years serving, but um, I say the military breeds divorced alcoholics and uh, I like my wife <laughs> and we've now been married for 16 years. So this is this is going back 10 years ago. So I said, you know, what, let's just let's just teach English or something. And so we hopped on a plane to Puerto Vallarta, like packed our stuff in storage, hopped on a plane to Puerto Vallarta uh, without really a plan. <laughs> like, let's see how this goes. So we went inland to Guadalajara in Mexico and uh, we got teaching down there, spent about uh, six months there um, and kind of traveled around a little bit of Mexico, uh, which is pretty neat. You know, um, I was never that excited about Mexico just because I'm from Canada and it's part of North America. And I was like, man, everyone goes to like, you know, Cancun or whatever. But when we got into like Guadalajara, it's not really a tourist destination. So I'd like to say we, we lived in kind of more the authentic Mexico and and Mexicans down there, they're just incredibly hospitable. Uh, once they stop chasing your tourist dollars, like they just want to welcome you to your home, treat you like family. Like it was I really enjoyed it. And I love teaching English to Mexicans down there um, because they're, they're so enthusiastic. Um, and I can't dance at all. Um, but uh, when, when songs would come on the radio, I'd like pretend to dance and they just like laugh at me and they try to teach me dance moves. I'm, I'm as white as, as, as you can get. So show them the gringo dance moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so, but then we, we had a home base kind of in Poland for a period of time because we taught English there for a year. Um, whereas when we would live in Italy, it was kind of like we'd go there for the summer and teach English in Italy and travel, travel around there. 
Um, and in South Africa, we never really actually ended up getting to do a lot of traveling around Southern Africa the, of, of the continent. And we kind of, we'd intended on it, but work ended up being a lot busier than, than we thought. And so um, it was kind of, it was a mixture. We had one stretch, I think, where we went like three months where we didn't spend more than two weeks in one place. Um, and I will say there is something to be said for having like a home base feel like you have somewhere to go home to you know it's cool being like a globetrotting nomad and we covered like 45 countries and five continents but there's something nice about having a place to call home yeah i i always like the idea of traveling in my head uh, yeah but then anytime i'm out it's like i just want to get home well i think the 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 glamour of it like it sounded like and, and look it was it was an amazing experience like it really i would call it like a life-changing experience having done that experience so many different countries and cultures and things like that like it really is very eye-opening but it also really highlights the sort of a common humanity in a sense you go to these other countries like you know i'm a foreigner i don't speak the language it certainly don't look like the locals that kind of thing and uh, but really we're all just trying to do the same thing and so in that sense it was it was um it was a really cool experience but like sometimes travel just sucks, like jumping on airplanes, trying to get, you know, hours spent waiting in airports because of flights delayed, um, you know, getting on jam packed trains where people are just crammed on like cattle in cars. Like it's not always uh, quite so glamorous as I don't know, some maybe Instagram travel photographer might like lead you to believe. Um, you know, I remember we went to Fiji and, um, you know, we went to this little island resort and, you know, it looks really beautiful and you walk on the backside of the island, it's like what they use for a garbage dump. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's paradise. <laughs> that's, uh, when I went on a cruise, <clears throat> one of the stops, I think it was Costa Maya in Mexico. And uh, instead of doing one of the typical tourist excursions, I found a dude and rented a golf cart from him and drove Beauty. quite a distance. <laughs> And it gets shitty real fast when you leave the tourist area. <laughs> oh, it does. It was like that in Cuba. Um, so we, we got like a resort, a, a hotel, not a resort. Like we got a, a room at a hotel in a resort. Like, oh, yeah, bought an entire resort. Just, just <laughs> booked the whole thing out. Yeah. Um, we got it in, in Veradero. And um, we paid someone at the time. It was like five. So they have like a, a Cuban peso and a convertible peso. And the convertible, the Cuban peso is only for Cuban nationals, and the convertible peso is like the tourist currency, and it's kind of pegged, or at that time it was connected to the U.S. dollar. Mm. And so we paid five convertible pesos. Now, to to put context on, I think the wage, their wage was somewhere around like thirty convertible pesos a month. So it was really like equivalent to like a dollar a day. It's going back a few years, and uh, so we paid someone five bucks to. Uh, take us on a tour outside the resort and go, go go see like the real Cuba and and really like see what it's actually like and it, it is it's pretty rough um and five bucks it was great like and and uh, some dude walked into a metal gate like one of those great style gates um checking out my wife because she's white and has blonde hair curly blonde hair and it was like I think it was just such an odd sight to see her in this part of Cuba. Like, you don't come to this part. We took a tourist, like a, not a tourist, a worker's bus. And we were the, the only two white people and the, all these like Cuban workers in their, in their sort of grubby work clothes. And they were nice to us. There was like, there's no threat at all. You know, they're, they were just kind of, we're just kind of an oddity. Like, did you get lost and somehow take the wrong bus here? Like what happened, you know? And, uh, but we had a pineapple for like 10 cents, you know, it was just, crazy and so it was it was really neat to see the actual country and how the people actually live versus what's portrayed in say like a tourist brochure right right that is the i have a friend who has been traveling the globe quite a bit even you know with covid going on it made things more difficult but i uh, yeah. his life travel and they show me all these pictures of things where it's like huh you would not ever see that in a book yeah. interesting yeah there, there's things that just just surprise you, I guess. And maybe, maybe it shouldn't, but you know, I go back to Fiji where they just like throw garbage in the streets, like, like, uh, or, or same thing in South Africa. Um, you know, we got a bus somewhere and, and they do like fried chicken in South Africa. KFC's made, you know, uh, a lot of money in South Africa. I will say, um, and then, <laughs> look, one of his, one of his uh, things when he travels, anytime he sees a KFC in a foreign country, he sends me a picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they would, um, they'd eat the, the KFC and they'd throw their chicken bones on the floor of the bus. So you'd be walking over chicken bones, like, um, wow. as you're getting off the bus and their, their idea was, well, I'm creating a job for somebody. <laughs> that was, that was, that was their logic. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's, gotta think there'd be some bacterial problems. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Hygiene, you know, wasn't necessarily held in the highest regard there, but you know, like it's it's just you know a different way of living, I guess, and different, a completely different mentality. Yeah, it, it's. I guess it's if you think about it, it's you know everyone's gone to their friend's house where everything is perfectly clean and organized, and there's not a speck of dust anywhere in the house. Yeah, but you never want to sit on the couch. Then you're like, oh my gosh, like oh right. <laughs> and, and then you've gone to the other house where it's like the dishes are piling out of the sink and it's like this person hasn't cleaned their house maybe ever yeah there's like a fly stack of flies like those. <laughs> yeah yeah you, you want to you want to go somewhere that like feels like you can make yourself at home but it feels like there's a little bit of care that goes into it you know so i think we would fall into that category in our place you know we, we've got a, we've got a young one uh, he's just uh, five months old and so like life is a little bit busy like learning to adjust we're first-time parents we're learning to adjust to that and so I'm like, things don't look perfectly pretty. Things might not be dusted and stuff like that, but you'll still be made to feel welcome. And there probably won't be a pile of dishes with um, a herd of flies buzzing around. So yeah, you, you got to get to the dishes before the flies. That's, yeah. that's, that's my personal rule. Well, especially in Florida, so, but... <laughs> I, I would think you'd probably get, um, cause it's a little more tropical down there than it is up here. See the one thing about having a winter where it gets cold and like really cold and snow on the ground and stuff like that is the insects, a lot of them die off or go into some sort of like, hibernation type state and you don't see them for six or eight months of the year boy that would be so nice. <laughs> the other the other thing is kind of handy is you run out, if you run out of freezer space you just stick it in the snow in your backyard <laughs> like how stereotypical we can't do it right now because it, it's it'd be the equivalent of uh, like in the mid 90s right now like it's pretty hot here but that's the other thing we have huge temperature fluctuations so we yeah. would go from like really cold like sub-zero um to uh, really warm like we can get where my parents live can get up to over 100 107, 108. So, but a lot of people don't think about Canada that way. No, well, that's uh, where I live. St. Petersburg is a peninsula attached to a peninsula of the state. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I had heard we in St. Petersburg have never even gotten to 100 degrees. Uh, really? We will get, it feels like 120 degrees with the humidity, but the actual temperature, because all of the breeze and the water kind of keeping us a little bit cooler. Yeah, uh, yeah kind of a, a, a weird little anomaly sounds like a, like kind of a really nice place to be like a really moderate climate then other than maybe the humidity yeah it can be pretty oppressive uh you, you just you know for six months out of the year you're just going to be wet constantly. <laughs> especially if you're yeah. if you're a larger fella <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not a small guy listen <laughs> yeah yeah no i i definitely do better like in in canada than australia like because australia is very hot uh, as well you know uh, they, mm -hmm. they have down there south which because in the southern hemisphere their south gets a bit cold but up in the north like where her parents lived there for like 15 years and we'd we'd fly into there and it, you know you go in the middle of winter here say in december or january and it's the middle of summer there so you go from like minus 40 celsius which is actually i think minus 40 fahrenheit they actually meet up there i think you go from like minus 40 to you know plus 40 and humidity which would be like over 100 plus you know 100 humidity it's just really it's very hard to adjust to wow yeah it's uh temperature swings can be, can be then, then you throw in like jet lag too because it's a really weird sort of time difference like 17 hours and so it's not really a clean sort of time switch either yeah i you know what when i started recording podcasts is when i realized i'm decent with american time zones I'm really dumb when it comes to international times. <laughs> it takes me 15 minutes of Googling and looking at the clocks to make sure I'm scheduling things at the correct time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, didn't, I don't know how much you uh, like to talk about this aspect, so we don't need to go in depth if you do not want to. But one of the things I read... Uh, on you was about uh surviving basically an attempted murder in South yeah Africa. yeah well it was just so we just passed the 10-year anniversary of it so um yeah it was 10 years ago and i've done i've done the work so i can i can talk about it i'm fairly fairly open about it um so we were we were working for an ngo um, non-government organization they were they were government funded but a private organization working with underprivileged youth essentially so we were um, teaching them young uh, life skills helping to become more employable that kind of stuff and we were working out on a on nature reserve 
And this actually, so this had nothing to do with our students at all. Um, but the way that the way the sort of reserve was laid out, there was a, a, kind of an L shape. And so you would have the dining hall at the top of the L, then you'd have the dormitory, then the bathrooms, and then tucked off to the side, away from like furthest away from the dining hall was the the instructor's cabin. And that's that's where we were. So it was a it was a Monday night, and everyone was in the dining hall eating dinner and just having a good time, that kind of thing. And uh, it was, it's winter over there, so short days. So it was about six, 6.30 at night. And uh, so it was dark and I would just walk back to the cabin by myself, everyone else, like literally everybody else was in the dining hall. And uh, the, the door was slightly ajar and it didn't, it, something should have clicked. But of course I was in the middle of nowhere, like on a nature reserve. Like why, why would I be thinking about that? And then I opened the door and there's three guys in the cabin. And they're actually sitting at the table eating um, rusks, which is like a hard biscuit that you dip in tea. Um, and that threw me off a little bit because one of them, I was like, I recognize one of the faces and it turns out he was one of the rangers on the nature reserve. But there was a fourth guy that I didn't see. And he was outside the cabin. And this is dark. They're, it's dark. They're dressed in black. They're black. Like the only thing that shines is their teeth if there's a bit of light on it kind of thing. And first clock over the head, like with a, a rock or a brick, like just crack and all of a sudden I'm reeling and trying to figure like what is happening you know and there is that moment where I think my brain like the brain goes into denial and I was like this isn't real this can't be happening you know and then you get hit again and hit again and knocked down and started getting kicked and stomped and like screaming for help and nobody was hearing it you know and and uh they had a knife but I was very fortunate they didn't stab me um because uh like the the HIV and AIDS um epidemic over there is, is very serious like I, I would I would estimate 60 to 80 percent of the population actually has like HIV and so there's a high risk of transmission there. Um, so anyways, uh, they're, they're, they're basically stomping me and their idea is to beat me to death. Uh, right. They, I, I found out they'd done that like the night before to another guy and succeeded, unfortunately. Um, and uh, fortunately, I'm a pretty big guy and, you know, but I'm bloodied and I'm concussed and I'm seeing stars and I mean, just in total shock that this is even happening to me. Like why? But I managed to sort of fight my way to my to my feet and and break free from them, and uh, kind of stagger, stumble, run over to the to the dining hall where everybody else is. And for some reason, they didn't pursue me. I I don't know why. Maybe they just thought, well, whatever, we'll just get back to him. <laughs> like, you know, maybe they went back to oh, let's just keep ransacking his cabin or something. So I managed to get into the dining hall, and I'm, you know, my face is covered in blood, and I'm dirty and bruised, and you know, I'm like, there's I've been attacked. There's there's guys out there. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how many there are. Like, you know. And, all, and, and so we had probably 20, 25 students with us. And there was myself and my wife were instructors. And uh, there was one other lady that was sort of helping out. And so we ended up barricading ourselves in the dining hall. Because, um, again, we don't know how many are out there. Sometimes they travel in roving gangs of, I don't know, 15 or, or more. And uh, so we're, we're kind of trapped in there. But I realized we're, we're like sitting ducks. Because if they do have guns, which thankfully they didn't. But if they did, they would have just shot us through the windows. Just like picked us off one after another. And so they did try to break down the doors. They had shovels and they were trying to smash the doors down. But in South Africa, they have um, like bars and uh, across all windows and doors and things for this reason. And, uh, you know, my wife was incredibly brave in this. You know, she got like some of the ladies like boiling water and arming them with pots and pans and things and, and pushed a fridge against one door. Like we were getting ready for war. Like we were getting ready to, we didn't know how many there were and if they were going to break through, like what was going to happen. And it was very, you know, I was like sort of half coherent right <laughs> well, right yeah and so i had a i armed myself with a fork um that that's something that sticks out of my mind is i remember like slump being kind of slumped on the floor um try, trying to figure out what it, just trying to sort of the whole mess and i had a fork and i was i don't know I was gonna kill somebody with a fork or something i don't know um <laughs> just an ordinary fork too not like just an ordinary table fork. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. And so it was, it was so interesting, like reflecting back on the different responses, like some of the men were like screaming and crying and like trying to hide in the pantry. Um, and others were like, you know, dra literally dragging them out being like, we're men, we fight, we defend our women, that kind of stuff. Like South Africa is very different culturally um, than, than, than North America. And so um, anyways, uh, thankfully, we, someone had, hadn't had their cell phone stolen because they went through and ransacked the entire dormitory as well and took like a bunch of stuff from the students and so on. But someone had their cell phone on them and managed to call the police. Now, the police in South Africa are not like the police here. They don't care. They literally have the job to get paid. But 
it was our lucky day. There was a senior police officer walking by a phone when it rang and he answered it and they actually dispatched a couple of people, but it took them probably 30 to 40 minutes to get out there. And the problem is you could see the lights flashing from like 20 minutes away because we could see across the valley. Um, and so the, the, the guys, the attackers, they knew um, the cops were coming. And so they just kind of melted into the bushes and uh yeah when the cops got oh yeah sorry no no no. that that was the thing i was thinking is there is there even authorities to call and then you obviously need medical attention as well yes presumably oh yeah absolutely and so um they they showed up and they weren't even going to take statements they're like oh he didn't die oh okay uh nobody got raped okay um yeah no big deal we'll just we'll just and we're like and thankfully, my wife was like, no, <laughs> you are going to take statements. These people saw their faces and so on. But they went and um, they dropped uh, like an MP3 player that I'd had. And one of the cops just went and grabbed it like barehanded. You know, it's like, thank you for tainting the evidence. You know, just they, they just they just didn't care. And they were incompetent, frankly, like <laughs> compared to what you see on CSI or something. Everything's so metic- they, they just didn't. But the thing is, they didn't really care. Right. Like they showed up because they had to. And they're like, okay, it looks like they're gone. We're just going to leave now. We're like, no, you aren't leaving until we get some transportation out here. None of us are staying here. They're hiding in the bushes, like waiting. And um, so we had the cops go and look around and they actually found an external hard drive of mine, which worked out in my favor because we had some photos stored on there and things. They stole everything of ours, like probably like three grand worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. We weren't tr- like just, I mean, that would be like the cost of like replacing everything. Like we had a lot, you know, a couple laptops and stuff like that. And so, right. But the, anyways, uh, so they, they did find that, but again, they just grabbed it with their bare hands and like contaminated it with finger. Like, it's just, they weren't even trying. And so, um, but when we look back, there were some things that should have like, but again, you don't think about it. The Monday morning when we got there, cause we went back into town, the town that we're living in for the weekend and someone else came out and supervised the, the students. Um, when we came back the Monday morning, we're like, man, our cabin's a little bit messy. We should like, we'll let we'll let this, uh, the organizer know so she can let the weekend supervisors, like let them know, like leave our cabin a little bit tidier. But really, I think what happens, they'd ransack the cabin, but our stuff wasn't there. And they'd come back to like ransack it again. And now there was helicopters flying overhead um, throughout the day, but we didn't think about it again. But I guess because they'd actually beaten the guy to death the night before, like they were, they beat his head in essentially. Um, But they didn't warn us. Like they didn't be like, hey, by the way, on the neighboring farm, like a dude was beat to death. No. And they're on the loose still. <laughs> and, they're, and they're on the loose and we haven't found them. It's like, they don't talk about it. Cause it's like, oh, people might find out that we're incompetent or something. I don't know. It was just baffling, like an entire, like a baffling situation. And so from then on out, that happened only like two weeks after we arrived in South Africa. And, you know, we're pretty seasoned travelers and we understood like South Africa has some violence issues and things, but it was shortly after the World Cup and we thought they'd improve security and stuff like that, but that was only for show. Um, and, you know, we were connected to local South Africans and things. And so we, we did everything, like there's nothing we could have done to avoid it. Um, but after an incident like that, you, we often feel guilty. Like how, how could we have not known? How, because hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, there was all these things that should have like, you know, twigged us, but it didn't. And so, um, and there was more instances like the house that we lived in got broken into, I think 13 times over a five month span. Like we just got so like angry eventually. You just get so frustrated because nobody does anything. And like we, we hired private security because the police are totally incompetent and private security are usually armed and angry. Um, like that, and they, sh- they, they legitimately shoot to kill. Um, they show up and, and they're going to kill you because if they don't, they might get killed. Like that's the hostile, like it's, it's a not the same, like if you went over, there's a tourist, you probably wouldn't see any of this. They would, they would like give you a very sanitized experience of South Africa. Cause it, South Africa is so beautiful. Like this incredibly gorgeous, like wildlife scenery, nature, coastlines, like it's so beautiful. And when I describe it like this, the thing is most South Africans, um, black or white or colored or Asian or, you know, cause there's, there's quite a mix of people that live in South Africa. Most of them are really good people. Like you would think that the entire country is just these, these roving thugs. It's not, but they have a massive crime problem, a massive violence problem. Like Johannesburg is like the murder capital of the world. Right. Um, so it's, it's like, and, but this stuff doesn't really leak out of South Africa, um, but it's a very violent country. And so, but everyone over there just kind of is used to it. Like they live in prison. You have, we had six foot brick walls with razor wire on top. 
like that's that's what you have and then you have bars on your doors and bars on your on your windows and as you go through the house you have locks on every room it's not to stop them because you can't just kick the door it's to slow them down as they're moving through your house so it gives you a little bit of time to react and you have panic buttons beside your bed and weapons beside your bed so that if they break in you know so it was so for someone who grew up in small town canada you know where you know everybody and you're not afraid to walk down the street at night like you know to 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 go to that where you're basically living in prison like it was very that in itself was traumatizing and i won't i won't describe some of the other things that happened just just for sake of time but there was there was a number of other incidents that happened that eventually we just like we can't take this anymore we had to leave like we're gonna have nervous breakdown because we like we would sleep in in shifts my wife and i you know somebody was awake all the time um, one of us would be awake because we were like we have to be awake and alert for what's going on you know you hear a, a tree branch scrape scrape against the window or something and you're like like who's out there kind of thing and yeah, that's you're that's, never that, getting deep sleep no and so to to live in that kind of environment and part of the reason why we stayed because people was like why, why didn't you just leave um for two reasons one we loved the work that we did like it actually felt like we were doing something that was making a difference and so like we knew of the 20 we had um, cohorts of 25 that would come through and we knew that of the 25 we might make a difference in three of their lives but that felt like we were actually doing something meaningful you know um because we recognize that we come from a privileged country like my wife comes from australia i come from canada and so uh, i don't know we just we felt like we were doing it, it felt good to help somebody and we also felt like you know, we have the option of hopping on a plane and going back to a first world country. These people don't. Like the black South Africans suffer. They suffer this violence. There's a lot of, because there's there's eight different ethnic black groups in South Africa. There's not just like one homogenous, no, there's eight different ethnic groups because none of them are from there. They all migrated down there and killed off the indigenous South Africans, actually. Um, that doesn't get talked about either. They nearly like, like a genocide. Um, that doesn't get talked about in the history books though but because there's such a mixture of cultures um and languages and cultural differences there's a lot of violence between these these different ethnic groups as well because they hate each other they have different rituals for transitioning into manhood or different rituals for transitioning into womanhood and if you didn't do this one or that one you know if you didn't get circumcised with a rusty razor blade in the mountains when you're 17 years old you're not a man that's one of them you know like and some of them die from infection having that done to them like right so it's just stuff that we don't even think about and and we might say like that's that's like ridiculous but they've been doing this for i don't know thousands of years who knows and so it's it's their culture who am i to say whether it's it's better or worse you know um but that that's the kind of world it is and and so it's it's immensely eye-opening to walk into that and and you know see this is the reality of the situation yeah that's uh extreme and and you've given me sympathy pains too which is <laughs> no so, go ahead well i was going to say the other thing I'll, I'll say is like um i'm at the place in my life where i'm actually grateful for the experience um and it's not that i would wish it on anybody i wouldn't ask for it again i'm grateful obviously because i survived but it really it, it like it, it changed my life it caused me to like i went through a period of like depression and anxiety i was traumatized i ate ate my way to 330 pounds like i i didn't know how to deal with any of this stuff and so i had i had a long road back from going through something like that but i wouldn't be where i am today doing what i do today if i if if it hadn't been for something like that and and the, the struggles and the fallout from that that's a, a very i love that you said that because i i always uh, I've not had anything nearly that traumatic happen to me ever, fortunately. Um, but you know, I've had my moments of, uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, everybody has their embarrassing moments or their frustrating moments or absolutely. Yeah. Time you're on your buddy's boat and the steering cable snaps and your face goes through the windshield. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, every, everything's like, well, I'm still here. Nothing severely scarred me or injured me. You know, it's a good story at this point. If, if you can, and, and you know, if you can uh, realize that, and again, obviously, it was nothing that extreme uh, ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is something to be said. Like, there's no permanent damage necessarily. I mean, mentally, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a <laughs> that's a different game. But I I do think sometimes people get a little too. Uh, even with with obviously smaller things, I think people get a little too upset about this, uh, like 
being having happened to them where it's like you could look at it as i survived it yep uh you know well here's the learned thing. something maybe didn't but <laughs> yeah uh you know in the beginning it's tempting to make it about me about jonathan and how dare they do this to me the special human being that i am right the truth is it has nothing to do with me nothing nothing to do with Jonathan, the person, my ego wanted to make it about me. But really, at the end of the day, it was I was a representation of something they felt had historically oppressed them. And that's, that's their issue to deal with. Um, that's their reality. And in their eyes, they weren't even doing something necessarily wrong. They were taking back something they felt had been taken from them. They didn't realize I was not South African. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. Right. And so it wasn't about me and i think as i realized that maybe that started the process of moving to the place of forgiveness and compassion for those who did that to me and that sounds like a, maybe for some people a very extreme thing to do but ultimately forgiveness was about setting myself free so that i could speak about it like this or i can, I can go forward with my life basically not be re-traumatized every time i really have the incident right and uh you you kind of mentioned a, a segue point too of uh, you you ate your way to three hundred thirty pounds and I know you've lost at least a hundred pounds yep. since then. Um, I don't think it gets talked about enough, and I think it sounds like you you do talk about this. Is the mental? Yeah. I'm someone myself who I've I've perpetually fifty to sixty pounds overweight. And, yep. you know, I talk about losing weight. I go on diets here, there. I lose weight. I gain it back. Um, somebody said to me once, you know, you need to be mentally ready to actually commit to losing weight to do it. You can't just be half ass, you know, half in. Mm. Um, what what yeah. do you think about that? Well, here, here's what I would say. Um, like the diet mentality, like the diet culture, uh, you know, um, that this has existed for a very long time. But the, here's the fatal flaw. It says, I will get permanent results from a temporary effort. I'll temporarily change my behavior until I achieve my goal. And then I'll go back to doing what I was doing before so I can enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. That That is literally why we get stuck in the yo-yo diet cycle where we lose weight, gain it, lose it. And I went through that. I How long did it take me to lose 100 pounds? Six years. Could I have, if I knew what I know now, could I have done it much faster? Theoretically, Yes depending on how my, my life went, because we, when we try to lose weight, for example, or transform our health, we do this in real life. We don't, it's like, we, I would get this idea that if I was going to lose the weight, that somehow the universe was going to conspire to make my life easier. So I could do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Stuff's still going to happen. You know, get injured, have to retire from a trade. I was, in, I was a power line technician, you know, um, my wife had to go back to Australia for a year and we had to be separated for a period of time while she was waiting on her permanent residency, things like that. Just it's, it's done in real life, navigating real life circumstances. The other part of the puzzle is you actually have to create permanent change if you want permanent results. So you have to build a new way of living. So that for most people is really difficult because they're like, well, I kind of like food is a source of joy and comfort and fun and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I don't want to have to like only eat boring, healthy food for the rest of my life. And so that's why we keep going back because the alternative seems too miserable. And we're not, we're only going to, we can only suffer through misery for so long, whether it's three months or six months or something like that, or even less, you know, before we go, no, I want to go back to it. So if you're, you have to have a really good reason why you want to do this, there has to be because change by nature is uncomfortable and the way that our nervous system is wired, we we're wired to seek comfort and to avoid pain. So right. you, you might've heard it said that we don't truly change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I have heard that. That's so, uh, well, it, it, <laughs> it resonates. Uh, so uh, weird question, maybe, I don't know. I think one thing personally I deal with, but I think everyone who tries to diet or change their lifestyle, I, yep. I, I think the word diet is probably a, sure. We, we know uh, what it means. Yeah. It's, um, a lot of, a lot of these diets have very rigorous rules, meaning yeah. the keto diet, you can't touch a carbohydrate or you're going to, Oh my like, gosh, if you yeah. don't, you dare touch a carbohydrate. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it's, uh, 
I, I guess this is a personal thing. I'm Italian, so I could never yeah. go on a diet where I could never have pizza or lasagna or, you know, pasta. Like it's yeah. been my family's holiday meals for my entire life. I'm never going to say, right. nope, mom, I can't have pizza. Uh, so I think that mentally is like, well, if I'm going to eat pizza, then what's the point of being miserable the rest of the month? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's Super the hard part. I don't know if you have any ideas on uh, or Absolutely. Or, or advice. Even. Well, well uh, the thing is, again, most you, you hit on something. Why most diets actually fail is because they, if you say, okay, today I'm going keto. Well, you've just imposed about 25 different rules immediately on yourself. You've literally strapped yourself into a straitjacket. <laughs> well, human beings value independence and autonomy. And so it's not gonna be very long before you're trying to fight your way out of this, this dietary straitjacket, and then you're going to start cheating on your diet or, or whatever. And I don't like that word. I'm like, you're not cheating on anything, you know? So we don't do good when we dump a bunch of arbitrary rules into our lap and say, starting today, you have to follow all of these rules perfectly and so on. And that's, that's, you know, the issue with say something like keto, can keto be effective? Yeah, of course it can. Um, because it basically cuts out sugar and junk food, you know, other than bacon and cheese. So there's a degree of effectiveness going to be there. Is your life going to be miserable? Probably for most people because carbohydrates are delicious. Um, mm -hmm. And there's nothing inherently, there's nothing inherently bad about carbohydrates per se, right? The issue is really we have an, we have an overabundance of food available to us in North America. Um, so diets, diets will always fail. And the way that I approach it, so I have a program, for example, it's called Lifestyle 180, and it's a 180 day program. The goal behind this is actually, I, is, I say, is like a reverse nutrition progression approach. What I mean is, Rather than imposing a whole bunch of rules on you all at once, what we're going to do is we're just going to we're going to build skills. So we know like the fundamental principles of being healthy, right? You know, you're probably going to eat vegetables. You're probably going to, you know, um, lean protein. You're probably going to limit your sugar intake and junk food intake, that kind of stuff. You're probably going to in incorporate some sort of activity into it. But if you're going to do this successfully, you have to craft that lifestyle. You have to do it. You have to, you know, and so my goal is to like empower people to do this. Let's reverse engineer your lifestyle. I'm going to work with you while you implement these practices and shape them to suit how you want to live your life. Not you're going to live your life how I dictate to you. That's the other thing. Most diets are like, it's like me saying, I'm going to tell you how you have to live the rest of your life. Right. Well, good luck. <laughs> right. I'm a nice guy, but you're going to start to resent that pretty soon. Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting thought, too, is a lot of times, uh, at least personally, and maybe this is just a personal attitude or philosophy, I almost want to be like, oh, you say that, but I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so you, you just have to witness my biggest uh, weight loss uh, issue. I realize it's only 130. So <laughs> that's that's all right. You're, you're recording a podcast. And so I think. Um... You know, I, I just noticed you finished your beer. So I was like, oh, well, hopefully he's got another. Oh, no, one that there. was whiskey, too. It was just an oh, old glass. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. So obviously there is um, alcohol does make things more challenging. But um, again, you can you, you want to figure out what your trade offs are. Right. So if you enjoy drinking whiskey, fantastic. Um, drink, drink whiskey, but learn how to if, if you struggle to regulate your consumption of it, um, maybe it's something you need to look at what is why am I struggling to regulate my consumption what role does it play in my life. So, like overeating is really only a symptom. Like it's a behavior but it's only a symptom that's not necessarily the actual root cause of why people are overweight. It's, it's a behavior, but if we can understand why that behavior is happening, because that's the other thing, like food is not just fuel. People will go out there and be like, food is just fuel. Ah, and I'm like, okay, what you're trying to do is you're basically trying to emotionally like shut down. You're trying to suppress everything you feel around food. Our earliest memories are around food. Like my, my five month old son, you should see his face light up when he knows he's going to nurse. Like mm -hmm. he's like, woo, I'm getting fed. You know, it's a bonding experience between him and his mom. You think about like here Italian. I've lived in Italy, and um, I, I know how important food is historically. And as you travel around Italy, like different regions have different dishes and cultures, and there's a lot of pride and history. And so, food is social. Food is culture. Food is history. Food is family. It's so many things besides just fuel. But there, and it should continue to be that because eating is inherently an enjoyable experience, but we want to maybe change how we approach that. So again, if I work with somebody, we're not just going to focus on what you eat because that's what, again, most diets do. Here's what you have to eat. It seems like so cold and like disconnected from reality. 
It's like, well, look at like what you eat, when you eat, why you eat, how you eat, who you eat with, like what is your entire experience around food? And if we can't shape it in a way that's going to be enjoyable for you, nothing's going to stick. And, and so because of all the struggles I went through, you know, losing weight, gaining it, losing it, gaining it back and, and feeling depressed because I felt like a failure and a loser. And why can I not just do this, even though I know what to do? That's the other hiccup. It's like, this is not an information problem. We live in the age of Google. You could right. just Google how to lose weight and you'll be shown like tens of millions of results. Not that you look at them all, like just an overwhelming amount of information. So maybe that's the only information issue is there's so much conflicting information out there. Yes. But really, it's an implementation problem. How do we how do we take what we know and build it into our way of living in a way that feels realistic, you still enjoy your life and so on. And so it, it boils down to again, there needs to be something you want to do. So in my case, um, I have a five month old, and I'm 39. He's going to be one, and I'm going to be 40. So I'm an older dad. I got to manage my health because he's going to get more and more active. He's going to want to run and play and wrestle. And if I can't keep up with him, I can't be present in his life. You, you know, so I, when I walk past that big old bag of chips at Costco, I look at my son and go, what do I want more? A bag of chips or to be present in my son's life? I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be the dad that can be present with him. That's uh, that's it. We, we went different routes on that. Not that it was intentional, but I, yeah. I, uh, I, I actually wrote down earlier uh, your joke and I was going to spit spit a joke back at you you said about the military breeding uh, divorced alcoholics and i'm like well i was never in the military but i can i'm still a divorced alcoholic. <laughs> that didn't stop me uh, but i have yeah. my kids at uh, 23 and 25 okay um, so i'm going to be 43 when my youngest son is an adult <laughs> yeah um and i'm divorced so uh, it's an interesting um uh, I, you know, interesting way that plays out because you, uh, I wasn't able to do all the traveling and stuff that, that you did. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you had a young child, you wouldn't have been able to do all of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, now the flip side is, presumably, if I, you know, don't kill myself because, you know, yeah. the last three days, <laughs> the only thing I've put into my body is whiskey and pizza. I got to I got a, a Sicilian deep dish pizza and it lasted me three days uh, yeah. and, and whiskey and uh, yeah. a couple cups of coffee this morning. So, <laughs> yeah, well, well, the alcohol, the blood alcohol um, can act as a bit of a disinfectant. If I could put it that way, that's a bit of a crude way of putting it, but um, you know, there, there, there is that element to it. So maybe not all the pathogens can survive with the alcohol circulating around in your blood. So, you know, we could try and put a positive spin. If the pizza has tomato sauce on it, cooked tomatoes are a great source of like magnesium and lycopene and vitamin A and vitamin C and so on. Right. So there is some, you know, the cheese is a source of like calcium and some protein and, and so on and so forth. Right. We can sort of piece it together, but yeah, you know, the, the bigger question would be like, wh why is that happening if you if you don't want it to happen? Because ultimately, if you want that to be the way that you go, like then the way that you live, then who am I to who am I to come here and say you should live differently? Right. You know, that's interesting because you you said it earlier. What my goal is always and I'm not actively I understand that at the very this very moment, I'm not mentally prepared to lose a ton of weight. I just yeah. like the maybe drop a few and, and not gain weight while I'm, you know, while well, I'm let's preparing ask, myself. Well, let's ask the question. Why do you want to drop a few? Uh, so I can look better. That's almost entirely okay. it. Uh, okay. So why do you want to look better? You know, things are opening up again. I wouldn't mind getting laid a little more than I have <laughs> last year and a half. Right. Let's be honest, man. <laughs> right. Of course. So, but this is, that's a valid reason. So, but here's what we get to right like and i was just kind of sort of i just switched over to coach mode temporarily for half a second there i was like okay let's let's figure out what's going on here because <laughs> if that's a motivating factor for i don't care what your motivating factor is you know if it's like if you want to look shredded and make your ex jealous great <laughs> let that power your transformation if if you're wanting to get some action great let that power your like let that be your reminder this is why i'm doing this <laughs> you know that like who are we kidding like sex drive is a powerful like motivator for us to do things. Yeah. Um, I still like to look good for my wife. Like, let's be real. 
you know so it you don't have to have this noble aspiration it's like whatever it is that lights a fire under your butt that goes this is why i want this you know cool it, well and, and part of it too though is a, a lot of a lot of the motivation also comes from well right now i'm about 260 if i weigh 210 pounds right now and i'm 62 so that's about yeah, yeah, yeah. what i should weigh is around 210 yeah, take. yep yep uh the uh you know i wouldn't feel bad about yeah all i've eaten for two days is pizza i wouldn't feel bad if i was 210 at 260 yeah. it's like ah oh, you fat slob why did you eat that lie you didn't need to eat those last three pieces could have waited well, till today and spread it out another day <laughs> right right so th then the question is well why did you eat them uh it well, I, I can tell you 100%. It's the this, this, the same reason that, that this is always ingested. It gave me comfort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And so what we say is, is or what I like to say to people is that um, compassionate awareness is the first step to change. So there's a lot of behaviors that occur under the radar. Like we don't really think about why we do it. We just do it. You know, an example I often give is when you drive from one place to another and you've done that drive many times over and one day you just do that drive, you get there and you're like, holy crap, I don't even remember driving here. How did I get here safely? Yeah. Yeah. Another part of your brain took over and you ran that, that circuit on autopilot. <laughs> well, so a lot of our behaviors are like that, where we don't really know like how or why or what. We're just, this is what I'm doing. And so I was just asking a couple of probing questions, for example, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're comfortable just kind of sharing openly on air. That's cool. <laughs> right. Like, let's be real. This is this is this is like the real humanity of trying to create changes. Like, let's figure out what's going on. Let's let but let's stop creating judgment around this, because I would say, you know, does calling yourself a fat slob actually motivate you to change? No, or, no, it's kind of feel like crap. It actually, <laughs> yes. Right. It'll make you feel like crap. And then it'll make you want to eat junk food to comfort yourself. <laughs> right. You are 100% correct. <laughs> right. And so it's like, oh, when we switch. So that's why I use the word compassion. So compassion is not a get out of jail free card. It's like, okay, if, you, if you're like your third whiskey bottle, your third, you know, two, six or whatever into the day, like, I'm not going to say keep on piling it on because you had a hard day, right? That's not helping you. But on the same token, I'm not going to say like, you're a fat, lazy loser. I'm going to say, let's figure out what's happening here. Let's actually understand this. And so one of the steps of creating change is to bring some of your unconscious or subconscious behaviors back into your awareness. Oh, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Now, if I'm going to change that behavior, like let's say drinking whiskey or eating pizza, they're like a solution to a problem. You go, I feel uncomfortable. I eat pizza. I feel better. Your brain goes, sweet. That was pretty easy. Now we have a solution to the problem of feeling uncomfortable. We'll just keep eating pizza. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, the unfortunate aspect of it is it has this side effect of causing weight gain. So that's a different type of uncomfortable. I kind of feel like just, just it's not overwhelmingly uncomfortable, but in my day-to-day -day life, I just feel uncomfortable. And so, but it's not got to the tipping point where you're like, I, I have to change this yet. You know, I can, I can hear the resistance and that's okay. You know, there will come a point in time where you go, no, like this, this needs to change. Now, for some people, unfortunately, it's like when a medical crisis occurs, like they have a heart attack and you go, right. what? I'm like, not even 40 and I had a heart attack. I'm like, yeah, that shouldn't happen. It used to be like in the seven, in people's seventies, this was happening. So yeah, you got, you got to figure out what, like, what it is you're doing it, why you're doing it and why you want to change it. And if it's worth it, because everything involves a trade-off, like you enjoy drinking whiskey, you enjoy eating pizza. If you're going to change that, like, and don't go into saying, I'm never going to drink whiskey or beat pizza again for, you know, a year till, till I lose the weight. I'm like, well, no, they play a role in your life. You might want to adjust how much of a role they play in your life and go, okay, when I'm doing this for comfort, are there other ways that don't involve food that I can, I can find comfort or joy in life? That's a, and, and frankly, the reason I, I decided I'll go all in and be honest with, I, I'm hoping someone listening to this is going to say, oh, wow, that, that strikes a chord. You know, I, I, I'm guessing my personal issues are not that uncommon or unique. No, I mean, no, they're maybe not. Maybe the very specifics, but whether it be tacos and, and tequila or. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
so it's it's uh and you currently i mean you currently coach people basically to i do help yep. win loss. that that is what i do I, my company is called freedom nutrition coaching and my the main program i work with people in is called lifestyle 180 it's this 180 day program where um we we help you i work with you to craft your new way of living your new lifestyle so that at the end of it you're not like i'm glad that's over i'm going back to something it's like no we're going to create the lifestyle that moves you towards the health you want to get to the weight you want to get to but in a way that you actually enjoy it and along the way when you screw up when you fall into old habits old behavior patterns well that's what the coaching is for it's like let's figure out what happens i don't use people's mistakes as ammunition against them that doesn't work um but I say, we're going to ask the hard questions, but I'm going to do it in a way that you're going to like, you felt for some reason, you felt comfortable sharing when I just, I just asked a couple of probing questions. We didn't get really deep yet, you know, but you, you felt comfortable enough to, to share. And I'm like, awesome. That's what I want to do. I want to create the space where I can ask a question. You can answer them because you know, I'm not going to judge you. That's not what I'm doing, you know? And so ultimately it comes back to like, compassion is a key component to creating change. The other part of it is when we feel alone, we're very unlikely to create change because uh, biologically it's like, it's scary to be vulnerable and alone. So now if you connect with a coach and you work with a coach or a therapist or a, a practitioner of some sort, well, and I, I have a very relational style of coaching. Like I'm working with you one-to-one, like you're working with me, the guy you're hearing, you know, um, it feels safer to be vulnerable because we have to become vulnerable to create change and vulnerable. It doesn't mean being weak. But it means like we're going to expose some weaknesses and when those weaknesses are exposed at least if you feel like you're in a safe environment biologically like you're you're going to uncover them and that's how we can create change so there's a lot of so i talk about what i call brain driven weight loss and there's there's a lot of um stuff that we don't really think about like the primal part of our brain the emotional part of our brain versus the logical part of our brain how do all these different things work you know and so really i try to create um a program that works with you the way your brain works. Because if we can change your brain, your brain is the driver of your behavior. Change your brain, change your behavior, change your life. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, you one one quick thing I want to mention. Yeah. Uh, the vulnerability, I, I, I like to, I've actually said this before, <clears throat> probably not on the podcast, but I always, one of my greatest strengths is being able to be vulnerable. And I don't think people view it that way it's uh you're actually stronger if you're able to let your guard down and and show your weaknesses that's actually a a strength it speaks to confidence right right and and i i one of my vulnerabilities is i'm a not very self-confident person person but i'm willing to be walked on or you know again good good people uh i feel like they uh respond to someone showing their vulnerable side a lot of people respond positively to that because they they're do. good people. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a time and a place for vulnerability. There's a time and a place where it's actually not appropriate mm-hmm. as well. And so it's, it's kind of knowing that because vulnerability itself has a bit of an allure to it. If you post a vulnerable post on social media, you'll get a lot of likes and comments and they'll feel really good. The problem is a lot of them are just sort of empty. Like they're well-meaning. Yeah. They are well-intentioned good people saying good things with a good meaning in their heart but that's easy that's easy to do that and just carry on with your day and just keep scrolling social media after you left that nice heartwarming comment right the hard thing is to actually come and connect with you like a human being and go let's let's work on this together let's do the hard stuff together so when we start in this process and then you face plant into an entire pizza and make it disappear and then drown that in a bottle of whiskey we go okay well let's figure out what's happening here that's the hard stuff. That's the stuff that we're not so, you know, on, on, in Canada, we have like Bell, let's talk. Bell is a, you know, telecom company and yeah. uh, it's about talking about mental health. I don't know if that, that, that trend has made it down to the U S on order of January 26th, I think it is, but it, it's like, that's almost too easy to just like post a feel good meme on social media or feel good quote or whatever about on social media and then kind of be done with it for the, you know, the, the, the year. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to do the actual human work. Um, but like, that's, that's what I do as a coach. That's why I work with people because it was a coach who showed me compassion, a male coach, you know, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect as a male to talk about compassion. I didn't expect as a male to talk about vulnerability or to talk about emotions or things like that, but we all have them. 
like all of us. My wife used to call me the Tin Man because, like, <laughs> I, right, I kept everything hidden. But the reality is they were all there. I was just afraid to show it because I thought if she saw it, she would think I was weak. Turns out she didn't. She's still with me and she loves me more because I'm more human, right? Emotions make us human. Yes. So, you know, if we can create the space for compassionate awareness, we can, we can really genuinely create change. And so I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but like my goal when I work with somebody is that they wouldn't have to diet again because we've, we've done the hard work, the real work to create the, the permanent change, the shift in identity. You know, I went from being the athlete to the jolly fat guy. You know, we might have to save this for another conversation, really. But, you know, um, we talk about your sense of identity. So right now, if your sense of identity is I'm a divorced alcoholic who loves pizza, your behaviors, you will act that identity out on repeat. That's a uh, that's a uh, an extremely good point. <laughs> right. Insightful. Yeah. So your sense of identity, your brain wants to keep that secure. And so it will act that on repeat. So when you we talk about transformation, there has to be a shift in identity. So I went from being the jolly fat guy who was the garburator who ate everything in sight. You know, that was my that was the identity that I adopted to basically justify my overeating to the the dad who's staying in shape because he wants to be able to play with his kid. That's a. uh, uh... That's uh that 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 touches home for me, and I'm hoping, you know, uh, usually I keep things pretty light on the podcast, but I do like to teach people things, and I'm hoping some people listening are uh, this is hitting home. Uh, and if it's just me, then well, oh well, you get to listen to my own little <laughs> therapy session. <laughs> well, we 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 it means, it means that we've had a had a good conversation, right? So, yeah, and uh, Jonathan, you're an extremely intelligent person. I just from your bio, I know you have a background in nanotechnology. Yeah. So I don't even know what that is. is. Uh, (laughs) It sounds smart. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was chemistry. I did chemistry and marketing psychology at University of Victoria in in Canada here. And um, nanotechnology is just working with things at a very small scale, molecular scale. So you have on the metric system, you have like a meter. And then you have like a centimeter. So there's 100 centimeters in a meter a millimeter, so there's a thousand millimeters in one meter. Then you have a micrometer, so there's a million micrometers in a meter. Then you have nano. So nano is the next small size down. So it's like a billion nanometers in one meter. So it's dividing a meter, which is like three feet, four inches for for the imperial system, um, a a meter divided into a billion parts. That's the size scale of like molecules that I was working with essentially in chemistry. Um, but we don't have to bore everybody with the, the fine details. Of that. Basically, you created the Ant-Man technology, right? There, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, it was actually blue, Blu-ray technology I was working on many years ago. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, so um, to wrap this up, where can people find you, your, your website, uh, you know, yeah. all that stuff? Well, <clears throat> excuse me let's put a couple of things out there if you want to just reach out to me coach john coach j-o-n at freedom nutrition coach.com we can put these in the show notes too um, yes. website being freedom nutrition coach.com um if you want if you want to see content like this on youtube it's no fn diets dot rocks forward slash youtube no fn diets dot rocks forward slash youtube yeah it's 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 what we call a vanity url but it's more memorable than youtube.com slash blah 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 yeah yeah that's what mine is (laughs) right exactly so it's it's no fn diets dot rocks forward slash youtube you know um and if if people want a free resource um to help out with like the cravings and things like that nighttime eating binge eating because i'm a former binging food addict um it's no fn diets dot rocks forward slash crush dash your dash cravings so no fn diets dot rocks slash crush your cravings um you throw in your email address and, and name and i'll email you a copy of my my it's about 25 pages um shows you you know four strategies to really deal with like cravings nighttime eating binge that kind of stuff and i'll tell you a couple stories of why people succeed in my program of course so nice well jonathan you have been uh it's been a lot of fun talking to you and uh 
uh, educational, at least. Uh, I, I looked a little deeper inside of myself than maybe I expected to. But <laughs> Hey, man, that's that's awesome. It's an absolute pleasure. And um, I'm actually just re- reviving my own podcast called Wellness Unplugged. And so maybe we'll have you, uh, have you come back on sometime. And we'll, we'll have a heartfelt conversation because the whole idea behind wellness unplugged is going to be that we have these heartfelt conversations it's kind of like um i'm envisioning like when you unplug the neon lights of las vegas and you see the underbelly you see the gritty side of it the raw human side of it as opposed to the shiny flashing lights kind of thing it's like let's talk about the reality of trying to create change in your life and so nice um, that's that's coming up so excellent well definitely uh 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 shoot me uh when that's coming back up shoot me an email so i can uh i'll make sure i mention it uh uh, on my podcast next time uh, when it when it gets going, I'm sure it'll be no f and diet rocks forward slash wellness unplugged podcast. <laughs> you know that's what it, I'm 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 already predicting that's what I'm going to make the vanity link. So <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, All right, man. Jonathan. Thanks again. I appreciate uh, your time and uh, uh, enjoy the the little bit of uh, warmness that re- will remain in Canada for the next couple weeks. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, absolutely. Boom. It's over.